Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Second Peter chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 18. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for reading and leading us this morning in worship. What a great joy it is to be together on this beautiful day. We're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Don. I'm one of the other pastors here, and I'll be leading us through Second Peter this morning. Uh, yeah, continuing in our series in Second Peter and Jude this fall. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help with this passage in front of us. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for bringing us here. Thank you for the, the, I think I pray this a lot of Sundays, but I'm It's true every Sunday. I'm so grateful for the strength in our minds and bodies to even be here. Uh, We do not take that simple grace for granted, and we thank you for for stirring our hearts and uh, empowering our bodies to gather uh, here in person, or some are joining us online. We're grateful for them, and uh, we would just ask you now, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We would invite you as we look at these eight verses together. Um, There's a lot in here. There's a lot of different things we'll be talking about. And uh, we would just ask you to apply them to each one of our hearts exactly what we need to hear, the one or two or three, um, maybe four things that that every one of us needs to hear from you today. Thank you, God. We look to you by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was uh, listening to an interview the other day, and uh, the interviewer was talking to an instructor, a woman who is an instructor at a survival training school. That's her job. She apparently had a military background, but now she was out, and, and now she works as an instructor at a survival training school in uh, Colorado. 
And uh, they were, actually, it was a, a, a podcast about leadership. They weren't talking about survival training and, and that sort of stuff, but it came into play. And, and she uh, talked about this method she teaches people to use when they get in trouble. So when you're out in the woods or the wilderness and you get in trouble, use this method, she says. And it involves the word stop. Stop. And, and apparently this isn't uh, original to her. A lot of survival training experts use this kind of thing. But the basic idea of it is, uh, is that STOP is an acronym that reminds you to, of what you should do when you get in trouble, right? So let's say you're out in the woods and you get lost. You're in an unfamiliar place and you get lost. Well, you should remember STOP when you, when you get lost, right? And so the S stands for stop, right? So stop. That's an easy one, right? So if you're going in the wrong direction, it's a good idea to stop going in the wrong direction, right? So it's a good idea to stop uh, stop moving, take a deep breath, don't panic. It's that kind of idea. Um, the, uh, the letter T stands for think, right? So you've stopped going in the wrong direction. Now you're going to kind of think, all right, how did I get here? All right, where, where's the last time I know I wasn't lost? And you know, maybe you get your compass out and, you know, what, what direction is north? You know, something like that. So, so just think, think about, about your situation. Uh, the letter O stands for observe. So this is where you're now gathering data from the place around you. You know, where's the sun in the sky? What time of day is it? What's the weather like? Is there a big storm heading this way? Uh, is that a bear over there in the bushes? You know, <laughs> this kind of thing. Uh, is anybody hurt? Right, that's a good one to check. Did somebody hurt their ankle half an hour ago if you're with somebody else? Uh, do I have a cell signal by any chance? You know, boy, that's going to help. If you do have a cell signal, that sure might help. And so that's the O, observe. And then P stands for plan, right? So now you've kind of looked around, you've assessed the situation. Now it's time to make a plan. How are you going to deal with this trouble that you're in? Are you going to, you know, maybe it's late and you can't get out in time, so you need to set up a camp, right? So you make a plan. We're going to camp here overnight or Maybe you're going to, you know, yeah, I do have a cell phone. I'm going to call my mom, right? That's, that's the plan. Mom, get me out of here. You know, something like that. But, but you, the point is you, you come up with a plan for dealing with the trouble that you're in, and then you, you actionize it. You make it, you take it, the plan into action. And like I said, I was listening to this thing, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was actually about planning your life, you know, which is why the plan part was so important. But I, I heard this woman talking about this, and I thought, you know, that's a lot like what we've been doing here in Second Peter. It's almost like Peter's a, a survival expert, and he's training us how to deal with the wilderness that we're lost in, because we've been talking in this series about how we live in serious times. That's what I've titled the whole series, Living with Sense in Serious Times. Uh, we, we face a lot of challenges in our lives. Sometimes it feels like we're lost in the woods. And you say, well, what are some of those serious things? Well, just to recap, just the ones Peter's talked to us about. Uh, back in chapter 1, we, we talked about sin, right? He, he emphasized in the, early in the letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he, he says that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right? Sin is serious. It corrupts things. It corrupts people. It corrupts our families sometimes. It corrupts systems and structures and governments and all kinds of sin. Sin messes things up. So that's a big challenge that we face. We live in a world where, where sin is, is pervasive. And then in chapter 2, Peter talked a lot about another challenge, another serious challenge we face. It's the challenge of false teachers. And we, we talked about how chapter 2 is almost entirely focused on uh, the fact that there will, in every generation, be people who are spreading lies about God. 
And that makes the times we live in serious too. So there's these threats, these challenges. Uh, but it's not all bad news. We have some resources at our disposal, right? We have uh, the Holy Spirit living within us. We talked about how his divine power now works within us. That was back in chapter one. We have God's word, big emphasis on God's word in chapter one. So we have these present blessings that help us deal with the situations we're in. And then we have a future hope. Right, which is what we talked about for the last two weeks. As far as the future is concerned, Peter says, don't forget Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, uh, but one of these days, the Messiah is going to return to earth and he'll deal with those serious times. Right? We talked about he'll judge the world and he'll take his people to live with him. Right? He'll take us to, to be with him forever. So, you know, again, to my analogy, it's, it's, that's the stop, think, observe part. Right? That's the challenges. That's the resources we have. But now we need a plan, right? We need, we need to do something about it. We need a plan. Jesus, yes, Jesus is going to return one of these days, but we're not supposed to just sit back and wait for that in a passive sense. We're supposed to do something, right? And so that's this question. What do we do in the meantime? And, and Peter actually answers, uh, asks that question himself. I think he puts the question to us in verses 11 and 12. Uh, and, and I know a lot of the Bible translations folks are looking at will have this as a statement, but grammatically it can just as well be translated as a question. I think the King James Version takes it as a question, and I, I think they're right to do so. Uh, verse 11, he, he says, since all these things are going to be dissolved, we'll get to that. He's referring back to the previous part. Uh, since that's going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be? Right? There's a question there. What sort of people ought you to be? How should we live in the meantime? Right? In light of all these things we've been talking about with, with Jesus and him coming back and the serious times in which we live, how should we live in the meantime? And the answer he's going to give us is that we should order our lives by eternal priorities. Uh, we should order our lives by eternal priorities. Works better when I turn it on. Here we go. Yeah. We should order our lives by God's eternal priorities priorities. And so that's what I want to talk about today. That's the plan. That's the plan that Peter sets before us in these, these eight verses. And what I want to show you are six ways to do that. I'm kind of just studying through the passage this week, how I've organized it. I see six ways that Peter tells us to order our lives by God's eternal priorities. So if you didn't open up a Bible before, please do so now so that you've got the text in front of you. It's always better when you do, so you can check, check me and make sure we're, we're moving in the right direction. Let's talk about six ways to put God's eternal priorities at the center of our lives. Number one, number one, the first one that Peter's going to talk about in this text is that people, we need to put people before things. All right, so that's step one in this plan of action, put people before things. See, to me, this is one of the key takeaways from what we ended last week and what he talks about in the first part of today's passage. Uh, he says, things are destined for destruction, the material world has an expiration date, but people live forever. People live forever. Therefore, whenever, whenever there's a choice that you and I face between people and things, people come first. So let me take you back to last week's passage. I actually didn't talk too much about this last week because I knew I'd catch it this week. But um, look back at verse 7, and then I'll read 10 as well. Uh, verse 7, he says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth, God's word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And then verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All right, so that's last week's passage. And we did talk about those things a little bit. Uh, Today's passage, he just keeps going, right? He just keeps going with the same thing. Verse 11 starts out by saying, uh, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved. And it's the same word he used at the end of verse 10, dissolved. Uh, This Greek word uh, means, um, it's an interesting word because it's one of those flexible words. This is true in English too. We have some words that are very precise and, and limited in how you can use them. And then we have other words that you can use them 10 different ways. The Greek word Peter uses here is one of those 10 different word, 10 different ways words. Uh, it can mean all sorts of different things. Uh, the basic meaning, the basic meaning of this word is to set something free. So you just set it free. And so if you have, a lot of times it's used for tying things or untying things. So if you had a knot and a rope, you would set the rope free. You'd untie the rope. You, you actually, if you were, if this word was used in a, a a sentence with, with rope, you would translate as untie. You would loose the rope. You would untie the rope. Sometimes it's used with prisoners. If you set a prisoner free, this is the word you use. It's used a lot of times in the New Testament spiritually with spiritual prisoners. And so there are several passages where it talks about setting people free spiritually from spiritual bondage. So the word's used that way sometimes too. That's not really how he's using it here though. But that basic idea of setting something free kind of helps us understand the picture. Here, the, the, the definition I'd offer here is that the word means to break something up into its component parts, to break something up. Like that's the way this word is being used. You're taking something that's, in, in, that's whole and you're going to break it up into all of its little pieces. All right, so imagine one of your, your children or maybe one of your grandchildren uh, builds a house out of Legos. Right, they buy one of those nice Lego kits with, you know, maybe it comes with instructions or maybe, you know, she's just really freeform creative, but, but they build this beautiful structure and it's beautiful and the colors and it's intricate and there's like little people inside the house. And I mean, it's just an amazing Lego structure and it's there, it takes up half the kitchen table. It's this beautiful thing. You're like, oh, it's beautiful, sweetheart. Thank you. It's, thank you for, for making that and just enjoying it so much. And then one of, uh, you know, everybody goes out to maybe, you know, do something else in the other room and one of the other kids comes in and takes it all apart, <laughs> takes the whole thing apart. And you come back later and it's not uh, there anymore. Now it's gone from this beautiful structured Lego f- uh, f- structure and, and now it's just a pile of Legos. That's this word. That's this word. You take something that's all organized and put together and you break it down into its component parts. Right? That, that's what the word means. So it says, I know dissolved makes us think disappear, but it's not that it disappears. It's just that it's broken down into its, into its little pieces. And if this isn't obvious from my illustration, it's a picture of destruction, right? If that child comes back and sees that her Lego house is now a, a pile of Legos, she's not going to be happy, right? She's going to be, she's going to be frustrated at that sibling. And, and so this is a picture of destruction. The earth as we know it, Peter tells us, will be destroyed. It's really fundamentally, it's a, it's a picture of destruction. And which is why back in verses 7 and 10, we get this idea that the earth will be burned up with fire, right? And you, you get this idea in verse 12 too, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, broken down into its component parts. It's the same word. So he uses it three times uh, in a row, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12. It'll be dissolved. And then he adds this word melt, which again helps us again appreciate. He's stacking up words that mean destroyed, right? Uh, Melt, it's the word you'd use for snow. You have some snow, they do get snow in that part of the world now and again. Uh, when When the heat comes, the snow melts. 
right? So it's, it's, this, it's, uh, it's there and then it's not there. That's what's going to happen, God tells us through Peter. That's what's going to happen to the material world. Everything's headed that way, right? If we believe the scriptures, that's what it says. Everything's headed that way. The tallest skyscraper, uh, the biggest stadium, the most beautiful painting, uh, the, the grandest cathedral, the newest iPhone, right? It's all going to melt, It's all going to burn away. The only exception is people. When we look in the scriptures, the only exception to that rule is people. Things are temporary, but people live forever. And so that's why God wants us to put people before things. That's why people come first. It's it's right here in this text. This text doesn't say put people before things, but it's, it's this principle that emerges from texts like this. Things are temporary, but people are eternal. And so our careers, our jobs, our businesses, our farms, as wonderful gifts as they are now, these things will burn away. But our kids... And our friends, they, they will live forever. Our bank accounts will burn away, but our co workers will live forever. Our homes will burn away, right? Our beautiful homes and yards and all the rest. Our homes will burn away, but our neighbors will live forever. This lovely little town we live in will burn away, but the people who live here will live forever. And so that's the first thing we draw from this. What's our game plan living in serious times like we do? Well, our game plan is to put people before things, right? While we wait for Jesus to return, we put people before things. Number two, the second way to order our lives by eternal priorities is to therefore spread the good news. Spread the good news. And this one does flow right out of the first one. Uh, If people are more important than things, then telling people about Jesus is more important than pretty much anything else. And not only there's kind of a double, uh, we're going to, two things going on here. Uh, Not only are people more important, and so not only is telling them about Jesus important, but telling people about Jesus also contributes to one of the things our hearts long for the most it brings the return of Jesus closer. That's what Peter says. Uh, I wouldn't say this if Peter didn't say it. Uh, so uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. We looked at parts of it. Let me read it now. Since all these things, the earthly world around us, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I'm going to stop there for now. So, so, so last week we, we talked about how uh, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. So we're talking about the return of Jesus that dominates uh, the first 10 verses of the passage of, of the chapter. So Jesus is coming back, but no one knows when. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's verse 10. However, so, so we don't know when it's going to be. Don't try to predict it. You're not going to succeed, right? We will not be able to tell when Jesus is coming back. But, Peter says, it turns out there is something we can do to speed it up. There's something we can do to to, to make it come quicker. And that's what he says in verse 12 when he uses this this word hastening. So he poses this question, what sort of people should we be? And then he, he begins to answer it. He says we should be people who wait for the Lord's return. We'll come back to that. It's the next point. We should be people who wait for the Lord's return, and we should be people who are hastening the coming of the day. That word means to speed something up, to bring it, to, to make it go faster. We are people who are hastening the coming of the day of God, which is another term for, for the, the return of Jesus. 
And I was puzzling over that and you know, looking at that, like, how do, you, how do we do that? How do we hasten the return of the Lord? Why would he say that? And then I noticed verse 15, and I think this phrase there in verse 11 is connected to verse 15. Verse 15 says, he tells us, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Right now, what, what is he saying that about? Where, well, wait a minute. When did he talk about the patience of the Lord? He talked about the patience of the Lord in last week's passage. He talked about it in verses 7 through 10 or 7 through 9 when we, we wrestled with that question. See, last week we, we wrestled with this question. What is he waiting for? Yes, Jesus is coming back. Well, then what's the delay? Why, what's, why the delay in timing? Why has it been 2,000 years and counting? And the answer we arrived at last week from Peter is that Jesus hasn't come back yet because God is giving more people more time. That's what he says. God is giving more people more time uh, to turn to Jesus. It's there in verses 7 and 8, right? He's giving them uh, the patience of the Lord. Where is he? There it is, verse 9, sorry. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when he starts talking about the patience of the Lord in verse 15, he's talking about verse 9. He's going back to that verse. And so what he's saying, what is he saying? He's saying, if you want Jesus to come back, then tell more people about Jesus, right? Because that's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for more people to turn to Jesus. Now, I want to be careful here. It would be easy to, to twist this. Uh, we are not saying that God has some specific number. If he does, he hasn't told us what it is, right? So it's not like, you know, as soon as we reach, you know, six billion people, or I don't even know what the number would be, right? As soon as we reach X amount of people who are saved, boom, God has to come back. I, I don't think the, the, mis- the mystery of the timing of his return works that way. But there's this basic principle where he tells us, if you want to bring it closer, if you want to advance God's mission to bring more people to Jesus, in the world, then tell more people about Jesus. That's, that's what he's saying in verse 15. And so the takeaway for us is spread the good news. Spread the good news. That's another thing we should be and must be doing while we wait. We should tell people about Jesus. We should build friendships with people who don't know him yet. We should uh, share our faith with them. We should pray for divine appointments, pray for open doors, pray for soft hearts, uh, do outreaches as a church, Uh, We should support missionaries. We should pray for missionaries. Some of us should become missionaries. It's going to take on all kinds of different forms according to calling and and giftedness, but God's Word says we should all be doing it. We should all be involved in spreading the good news. That's another part of the plan as we wait for the Lord to return. Number three, the third way to order our lives by eternal priorities is to anchor our hope in the Lord. Our hope is fixed on him. Our hope is fixed on him. And that's what Peter's talking about with, with this whole concept of waiting. I told you we'd come back to it in just a moment. Um, he, he uses the word wait three times uh, in, in quick succession. Uh, verse 12, he says we should be people who are waiting. I quoted it a minute ago. Uh, we should be people who are waiting for the Lord's return. And then verse 13, he uses it. He says, according to his promise... Uh, We are waiting, so Jesus talked about this, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then he uses the word a third time in verse 14. He says, since you're waiting for these, the these there is the new heaven and the new earth. So we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. 
And it helps to understand this word waiting, what it means. Uh, the word for waiting that he uses here, it means uh, simply, it means to, to, to look for something or to expect it. You're expecting it to happen. So you're waiting. It's something that you believe is going to happen. So it's, it's not kind of, you know, like a, a, a pointless hope. It's, it's, it's rooted in reality. It's rooted in, in this instance, in a promise. So it's waiting. It's waiting. It's expecting it. Um, a fuller definition from a, a, a dictionary, and uh, to wait means to anticipate something with an added element of tension. Uh, this is a biblical dictionary. Uh, something To anticipate something with an added element of tension that arises from hope. And so if you look at the different ways this word is used and the ways it's defined, the key thing to notice is that it's active, right? So sometimes we think of waiting as a passive activity, but, and maybe there are examples where that's true, but biblical waiting, this kind of waiting, is active because it's looking, it's expecting, it's anticipating, it's watching. Uh, I thought of um, when, I, when I was uh, like in grade school, uh, I lived out in the country in upstate New York, and we used to um, have to take a bus to school. And so, and our, our family had this long driveway. It was too long to wait in the house for the bus to come because our bus driver, he had an ornery streak. If you weren't at the bottom of the driveway, he would just leave. He wouldn't even stop sometimes. And so, uh, back in the day, right, when they could do that kind of thing. And so, uh, we had to wait at the bottom of the driveway. And we'd stand down there in January, and it gets cold in, in upstate New York in January, and we'd be freezing, waiting for the bus. But we weren't kind of just waiting. We were waiting, We were because it was down that way, and we'd, we'd look, oh, where is he? Where is it? Oh, and you'd strain your eyes to see, could you catch, could you catch the headlights coming around the bend a half an aisle away? You know, it was an active, anticipatory uh, waiting, right? So it's, it's this a sense of active I was waiting for a bus to come so I could get warm. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, Peter says. Right? That's that verse, verse 14. We're waiting for these. It's verse 13 too. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. And notice why we're waiting for it. Notice why we're waiting for it. We're waiting for it because that's where righteousness dwells. So there's lots of wonderful things that are going to happen when we get to the new heavens and the new earth. I trust that we'll, we'll see loved ones who've gone before us and, you know, the, I'll bet you the fruit's going to taste better and, I don't know, maybe we can fly. I don't know. I don't know. But there's lots of things to look forward to when you think of the new heavens and the new earth. But that's not the one the passage focuses on. The passage says we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth because that's where righteousness dwells. And so in context, it goes right back to all this stuff we've been talking about in this book, right? You you think of the corruption of sin from chapter 1. You think of the false teachers from chapter 2. We are longing, right? Because Jesus lives within us, we are longing to see those things undone. We're longing to see Jesus put an end to the corruption of sin. We're longing to see him put an end to false teachers. It grieves us, right? Before we were saved, oh, yeah, lots of people believe lots of things. Meh, who cares? Now that we're saved, it grieves us, right? It grieves us to see the the lies being uh, taught, you know, lies and cults and this kind of stuff. Uh, We long to see righteousness, uh, integrity, honesty, purity. We long to see these things. We long to see, uh, I think it's all summed up with this word, righteousness. That's what we long for. And what Peter's saying, someday we will. Right? Someday, when, when Jesus comes back, when the, new, when the new heavens and the new earth, he's kind of conflating some things because 
A lot of us would believe there's a thousand years in between there. But, but, but in, when we get there, when we get there, uh, he'll, he'll put an end to all of those things. And so because of Jesus, our ultimate hope is not anchored in these things, right? And you think back to our first point, the things aren't going to last anyway. Uh, and so between that and the fact that our, so, so the stuff we are tempted to trust in here isn't going to last forever anyway. And meanwhile, the one our hearts really longs for and everything that he's going to offer to us, he lies ahead. And so the principle here is to anchor our hope in the Lord. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're expectantly looking toward. We're looking toward him and toward the hope that he's going to bring, the the, the fulfillment of the hope that he's going to bring when he returns. So we put people before things. We spread the good news. We anchor our hope in the Lord. Uh, Number four, the fourth way to order our, our, our lives by God's priorities is to strive for godliness. So this is part of the plan, too. This is another part of the how do we live in the meantime plan. Uh, since Jesus is going to return in the future, we are to strive for godliness in the present. And that's what Peter says in verse 14. It's the completion of the idea I started a moment ago. So verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these things, since your hope is anchored in Jesus, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So Peter's already hinted at this emphasis on godliness. He's already hinted at it in verse 11. So verse 11, if you look back at that, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? And he starts to answer the question. The, the, the grammar's kind of tricky here, but, but he's, I think he's starting to answer the question. Well, you ought to be people who are living in lives of holiness and godliness right? Like that. And then he develops that for us in verse 14. So while we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to be diligent. And if that word sounds familiar, it should, because uh, we've used, he used the word twice back in chapter one. We talked about a, a word that means make an effort. Remember that from verses six and seven, make every effort, strive. Uh, it, it was back that way. Uh, and so what he's saying is that when Jesus returns, make the effort to make sure this is how he finds you, right? When he comes back, make sure he finds you, verse, uh, this is verse 14, without spot or blemish and at peace. So when Jesus comes back, make sure he finds you living a godly life, is, is what Peter says there. If you look at the different words, they're all connected to godliness in, another, in one way or another. So holiness from verse 11, uh, it, it's the word that's used to describe something set apart for sacred purposes, that's us. We're consecrated. God has set us apart for his purposes in this world. Godliness, verse 11 also, uh, is the word that means, um, it's actually translated piety back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 back in chapter 1. Uh, it's, it's, so it's reverence, a life of reverence toward God, not being casual or flip toward God, but living in reverence toward God. That's what that word means. Um, and then verse 14, without spot means to be clean or unstained. Uh, in a moral context, it means to be uncorrupted by sin or, un- or pure. And then the other word, without blemish, is basically a synonym. It means to be blameless. Again, morally, to be blameless. And then at peace, there at the end of that verse, when, we, when I put that with the other words, I think he's saying, be at peace with God. Be at peace with God. So peace, and it's not, this one isn't really emphasis on relationship, peace in our relationships with each, other's, each other. It's peace with God. Right? And so when Jesus comes back, make sure he finds us living for him. Make sure he finds us 
you know, the old phrase they would talk about, I don't know if you hear it as much these days, you know, get right with God. You know, they'd say it in old Westerns, you know, make your peace with God. It's this sort of idea. Make sure when Jesus comes back, Peter says, you are living at peace with God. You are right in your relationship with him. When I put all those words together, the word that that occurs to me is godliness. Strive for godliness. And that's that word, be diligent. Uh, It it means to... um, it means to make every effort, right? We looked at it back in chapter one, like I say, it means to strive to do something, make an effort. And so the word means to work at it, right? So don't be passive about our pursuit of godliness, right? Don't start fl- clicking through Netflix to kind of, oh, let's see what happens. No, choose, be active about our pursuit of godliness. Be diligent, make every effort, he says, to be growing in, striving toward godliness uh, in our lives, So that's another part of the plan. What are we going to do in the meantime? We're going to strive for godliness because God's word tells us to do so. It's basically getting getting ready, right? If you're going to take a long trip, you you start getting ready now, right? (laughs) It's the same sort of thing. All right, number five. Uh, The fifth way to order our lives is to uh, watch what we believe. Watch what you believe. This should come as no surprise. Right? Given uh, everything we talked about in chapter 2, it should come as no surprise that Peter has to come back to it one more time. Uh, it's almost like, you know, in case you've forgotten in the, in the three minutes it's taken <laughs> since you've read that chapter, Peter says, let me just tell you one more time, uh, watch what you believe. Guard what you believe. Uh, that's verse 17. Before I read 17, though, I wanted to back up to verses 15 and 16 because they, they are important and also because they set up verse 17. So let me read them. Uh, verse 15, he says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We talked about that. Uh, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in his letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So he tells us uh, the thing we talked about before, count your salva- count the patience of God as salvation. Salvation for you know, those people that are, he's waiting for. That's why he's waiting. He's being patient so more and more can come to salvation. Right? And then he, he brings Paul in. Right? So he's, he's quoting another source, basically. He brings in Paul and he says, hey, listen, just in case you have any concerns, Paul, Paul says the same thing. Paul, Paul thinks the same thing I do. Peter says, or I think the same thing Paul does, however you want to to understand that. If you read the Acts, you know, there's a little bit of a godly rivalry there with those two, but uh, Paul says the same thing, Peter says. Paul says the same thing. He agrees with me. And then he makes this wonderful statement. He says, some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. Uh, Amen, says everyone who's ever tried to teach through Paul's writings. Yes, they are. Um, He's probably talking, if you wonder what does he mean specifically, he's probably talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. Because that's the one that we know was being twisted even in the first generation of believers. There were people who were taking justification by faith. Paul talks about it in Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8. He talks about, you know, does this mean we should just sin? Well, sin all the more. I mean, if God's grace abounds when we sin, let's sin all the more. I think that's an example of what Peter's talking about when he says ignorant, unstable people are twisting Paul's words. Uh, and, and so he, he says this, and then he, he makes this statement. He just says, yeah, ignorant, unstable people twist Paul's words just like they do the other scriptures. 
And if you've ever studied the doctrine of Scripture, you know this is a very important verse when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture. It actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with what Peter's saying, but we're really grateful he said it. I mean, the Holy Spirit made him say it because it, it was something we needed to understand. Because what it does when he says, when he puts Paul's writings in the same category as Scripture, it speaks to the authority of Paul's writings. You see what he does there? He says Paul's writings are in the same category. They're being twisted the same way as these ignorant, unstable people twist the other scriptures. So they twist Moses, they twist Isaiah, they twist David and the Psalms, they even twist Paul, just like they do the other scriptures. And so Peter, Paul is still alive at this point, and Peter already. And not just Peter, he doesn't even have to defend the idea. And so we read this and we understand that they all understand this. The early church, the first generation of believers already understood that what Paul was writing and what Peter was writing and Matthew was writing and those guys, they already understood it as being scripture. And so, so it's very important as far as the doctrine of scripture goes. Doesn't have a whole lot to do though with what he's saying, except that they were twisting it. They were twisting scripture. And that gets us to verse 17 and back to our old nemeses here, the, the false teachers. Uh, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what? Knowing that twisted people will come and, and twist the scriptures, right? Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So you know it's going to happen, he says. You know people are going to twist the scriptures. You know there's going to be false teachers who spread lies about God. Therefore, guard yourself. That's his takeaway, right? Here's the, here's the, the, it's the action plan, right? He talked about the problem a lot in chapter 2, but now it comes out, he says, so what do you do when there's a world filled with false teachers and people who twist the scriptures? You guard yourself. You watch yourself. You guard yourself. That's what the word take care means. Uh, you could easily translate that word as, as keep watch or keep guard. Take care. Stand guard. Protect. Preserve. Uh, be on your guard, he says. And then he gives us a great picture of what could happen if we don't. Right, it's this wonderful little word picture here. He says, uh, you don't want to be carried away with the error of lawless people and thus lose your own stability. You don't want to be carried away and lose your own stability. Uh, hopefully this has never happened to you, but every year you see something like this in the news. Uh, somebody will try to drive a, a car or a truck or a van, something like that, through a flooded intersection. Right? There'll be some flood, you know, some river will overflow, or maybe there's a hurricane, whatever, and you'll have a flooded roads, and, and they always tell you, don't do it. Don't drive through. If there's water in the road, don't drive through it. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know how fast the water's going. Turn around. Turn around. Go find another way. But somebody always does it anyway. Right? There's always that guy. He's like, I bought this truck for a reason. I'm going in. You know? and, he, and, he, and he goes through the water. And sometimes he gets through, but then sometimes he doesn't. And, and there's this moment where uh, the truck loses its footing. Right? It loses its, its stability. It loses its connection to the ground. And it's now it's just, it's just debris, right? I was going to say it's a boat, but it's not a boat. It's, it's not even as good as a boat. Now it's just more debris, and it starts to get carried away by the floodwaters. It loses its footing, and it gets carried away. And that's the picture here with those words that Peter uses. And what he says is, don't let that happen to you with false teaching. Don't let that happen with you. Don't wade out into the middle of it to see how bad it is. Because if you do, you might lose your footing and get carried away. So 
So that's his, his last warning on that one, and it's part of the Gaction plan here. Watch what you believe. Pay close attention to, to, to your doctrine, he says. Well, finally, the, the sixth way to order our lives is to keep growing in the Lord. And that's where he ends the letter. Keep growing. Right? So, so we're waiting, but we're not just going to, again, we're not going to just passively kind of, you know, stop here. No, we're going to keep growing. And that is where he ends. He says, take care not to be carried away. But instead, I actually think verse 18 is the offset to verse 17. He says, instead, make sure that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It comes in the form of an imperative. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Uh, that's what you do when you order your life by when you order your earthly life by eternal priorities you just keep growing you keep growing in the lord and he talks about two things to keep growing in specifically it's not just the kind of throwaway phrases at the end of the letter they're two important things the first is grace and so he says keep growing in grace grow in his grace uh, and i i would just real quick talk about that at two levels the first is keep growing in your own experience of grace Walk in grace, right? Let go of, of the guilt and the shame and the regrets, right? Instead, internalize. Let God internalize in you this reality that your sins really have been removed, right? Some of us, we keep coming back. We're like, oh, God, forgive me for that thing I did two years ago or last month. And, and you've, you know, you've heard the old thing. God says, what thing, right? What, what are you talking about? Why? Because he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. I think some of us struggle to believe that. And I think growing in grace is part of that, is, is internalizing and accepting and embracing this reality that, that, that his grace is real, that he means it when he says our sins are forgiven and he's removed them from us. But then we also need to grow in our ability to give grace to others. Right? So grace isn't something that's just for ourselves. It's also something we, we give to others. Right? And when we forget that, we're in grave danger of becoming Pharisees, right? Modern-day Pharisees, when we start acting like grace is only for me, but not for you. But no, God calls us to show grace to, to the people in our lives, right? To our, our spouse, to our parents, to our children, to our grandkids, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to that politician who, who doesn't have any positions you think are right, right? Uh, to show grace to that person too. Grace uh, upon grace upon grace, right? That, that's what we're to be growing in. Keep growing in his grace. And then the other one he talks about is knowledge, growing in your knowledge of Jesus. And so, so grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, knowledge, you know, a lot of times we think of head knowledge and stuff we know, and that's important to keep growing in that. But a lot of times we point out that this word, the, the biblical word for knowledge, often puts more of an emphasis on experiential relational knowledge. And so I think what he's saying here at the end of the book is keep your eyes on Jesus and keep growing in your, your relationship with your Savior. Right? Your personal, we talk about that personal relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, G Jesus himself said it. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Right? It's a very relational picture. Abide in me and I will abide in you. When we reorder our lives by, by God's priorities, when we're chasing after these things under his grace and in his grace, Jesus becomes more and more. And those temporary things we talked about become less and less. They become less and less. And so that's, that's part of it too. Keep uh, growing in the Lord, growing in his grace, growing in the knowledge of him while we wait for him to return. 
And so that's the plan, right? I go back to where I started. That's the plan of action for us. And we need a plan, right? There's no doubt about it. We need a plan. Uh, We do live in serious times. We're not done with the series. We still are going to catch two more weeks in Jude and see how Jude helps us understand some of the stuff here in in 2 Peter. But there is a sense of a little bit of closure here as we come to the end of this letter. Uh, We need a plan. Uh, We live in serious times. Sometimes it feels like we're lost in the woods. Uh, But but one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. That's a big part of Peter's answer of how we deal with it. Remember that the Lord is going to return. And in the meantime, until he does, work the plan. Work the plan, right? Put people before things. Spread the good news. Anchor your hope in the Lord. Strive for godliness. Watch what you believe. And keep growing. Keep growing in the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much that you love us so much. And uh, I would just ask for myself and every one of us here in this room that you would uh, be working by that grace we just talked about to help us do this. Uh, help us, Lord, to, uh, to rightly order our priorities, to, to put people before things, because that's hard sometimes. Uh, it, it just is. And so we just pray you'd help us with it. Uh, help us to spread the good news. Give us even those opportunities, Lord. Help us to give, be alert spiritually to see them when they come. Uh, help us to anchor our hope in you, to strive for godliness and to accept the forgiveness when we've stumbled in godliness. Uh, protect us, Lord. Protect what we believe as a church and as individuals. And most of all, help us to keep growing. Help us to keep growing in our relationship with you. That's what we ask, Lord. And we pray that you would do it in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.